The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious Serious Fun. Welcome to another special live-to-tape episode of Serious Fun. I am your host, Dr. Brian Carr. This week, as part of our countdown to Comic-Con at the Brown County Library, we actually went to the Brown County Library, where I sat down with one of my colleagues from the psychology department here at UW-Green Bay, the Ben J. and Joyce Rosenberg Professor of Psych and Human Development, Dr. Regan Garung. Now, earlier this year, we nearly took over an episode of our sister podcast, Psych and Stuff, geeking out about Superman, uh, and because they eventually had to get cut off, we decided that this was this would not do. We had to do a longer form discussion, uh, and so we needed to do an se- episode of Serious Fun, discussing not only the importance of that character, but also the importance of comics in helping to promote cultural understanding and identity beyond the limitations of national borders. So this is that conversation, recorded live September 20th, 2018, at the Brown County Public Library Central Branch. It's Superman, it's Dr. Regan Garung. It's up now on Serious Fun. Yeah, thank you, Andrea. Thank you very much. It's always nice to talk loudly in a library and uh, have nobody throw you out. So uh, you are free to also clap and, and cheer wow. and whatever the moment strikes you, but please do so politely in, in, uh, in um, uh, consideration for the other patrons. Andrea will tell you when you're too loud, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, as Andrea knows, uh, I mentioned I am Dr. Brian Carr. I am a professor in the uh, Communication Information Science Departments at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Um, with me is, uh, what, what is your title, Regan? Like, what, what, what are you at? Because like, you're like the, the, one of the big wheels in psych, so I'm not sure. Like The, uh, the Ben J. and Joyce Rosenberg Professor of Psych and Human Development. Right. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's, or, or the big wheel of psych is also, okay. it's a, you know, same I, difference. I like big wheels of psych. Yeah, we, could, yeah. We, can, we can, you know, it's not too late to get those business cards. That's right. So <laughs> we are here to talk about uh, comics, and we're here to talk specifically about Superman and kind of the cross-cultural appeal of comics. Um, and it uh, should be a pretty interesting, lively discussion, I hope. And uh, you're, of course, free to answer or ask some questions. We'll be happy to answer them at the end. Uh, if you're not familiar with the show, um, this is for the podcast Serious Fun. It's part of the Phoenix Studios Network, uh, b- being put on by the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Uh, we also have to take a moment and pause, and because I didn't do it last time, uh, we have to make a moment and pause and say thank you, Stitcher. So if you all just want to like say thank you, Stitcher, really loud, it, trust me, it, it doesn't make sense to you, but we have to do it. So uh, just say thank you, Stitcher. Just trust me on this. One, two, three. Thank you, Stitcher. See? Doesn't that feel good? Um, I'll, I'd explain, but why? Um, all right. <laughs> so uh, we're going to start off and kind of, uh, I want to introduce you to um, my, my colleague here. And uh, so we'd, we'd actually, uh, the, the genesis of this conversation um, was that one of the other podcasts, uh, was this for Psych and Stuff? Or it was, was Psych and Stuff. Okay, yeah. So this uh, Psych and Stuff is one of the other podcasts, and it is actually put on by the psychology department at the university, and they guested, it had me uh, guest as a moderator for their big end-of-the-year panel. And uh, Regan and I got so animated talking about Superman 
that we actually threatened to take over the entire show. Yeah, we had to be shut up, I think. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And uh, so we decided, all right, well, we're going to take our ball and go to the library uh, and just do a show here as part of Countdown to Comic-Con. So, uh, Regan, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for being here. It's very exciting to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me, Brian. Yeah. Yes, can I ask you a quick question right you, off the bat? Yeah. I don't, I mean, and I, and I whatever you, you want, that, man. I mean, I'm, we're just going to go a bunch of different ways. Yeah. I do have to ask you, in terms of origin stories, when you thought about serious fun, uh-huh. Was that homage to the comic book new fun that really kicked off Superman? No. <laughs> I wish I could say it was. Okay. Um, no, serious fun. We were, we were kicking a couple ideas around. And I'm just like, you know what seems like a nice contradiction? Serious fun. Cool. That's the thing. That, I will tell you, though, um, in, a, in a comics-related thing, if you'll notice, if you, if you have the podcast, um, you can actually listen and take a, or take a look at the, uh, the, the album art. Um, that is that album art was an homage to Roy Lichtenstein. They'd actually given me a couple different uh, picks of like what album art they wanted to go with the podcast. And so our graphics department uh, at the university came up with that. And uh, I chose the Roy Lichtenstein one. Here's the reason. So Roy Lichtenstein got very famous uh, essentially recreating pop art panels from old comic book panels in my opinion, tracing them. Um, and so Lichtenstein got very, very wealthy, essentially borrowing other people's work, while a lot of these comics artists who are work for hire didn't really get any of that uh, uh, notoriety or attention or fame or money. So it's kind of my way of sticking it back to Roy Lichtenstein, and that's my own sort of petty personal story in here. Wow. I, I have to okay. be careful about telling that story around art majors, but... Well, <laughs> or art historians. Or art historians, that too. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, so no, that, that's, that's, that's the origin. It's not a very interesting one. Well, it's, it's not bad. Yeah, thank you. Um, but let's talk about your origin story. Um, I always like to start, start off with my guests uh, asking me, kind of tell me their story. It's an interviewing trick I learned a long time ago. So tell me the Regan Gurung story. Um, what, uh, what's, what are you up to? What's your backstory? And uh, kind of what brings you to comics as an interest? Yeah, you know, you, know, you may see some, uh, some crazy parallels here. Picture this. Two parents fearing for the fall of a city, wrapping up their son and sending him off away by a rocket ship. Mm -hmm. I sort of feel in the same way. My parents uh, basically said, hey, look, uh, I don't think Bombay is the right place for you, so go check out that place called America. Mm -hmm. So they popped me on a, on a jet plane, and here I came all by myself, mm -hmm. uh, feeling, so I didn't really crash land in some Midwestern farmland, mm -hmm. but uh, here I am in the Midwest right after that. So I feel in some goofy way, there's some parallels to this whole you know, coming from another planet kind of things. And I think one of the things that I know we're going to get into is this whole notion about immigration mm -hmm. and, and the alien and that really neat usage of the word alien for from another planet, mm -hmm. but also legal and illegal alien. So mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, origin stories, me and comic books, I mean, I'd, I'd like to actually kick off, uh, you know, my, my folk, my parents always, uh, not my parents, my, my wife and son and daughter always wonder why do I like anchovies on my pizza, mm -hmm. all right? So, here, yeah, I see, I see some scrunching up of noses even in the audience. Why do I like anchovies on pizza? And really, the answer, Archie Comics. Really? Archie Comics. So, okay, so what, what about Archie leads to anchovy? All right, well... In Archie comics, and please, for those of you who are fans of Riverdale, it's not the same Archie. 
Okay, please. We, it's not the same Archie. This was another thing we talked about on the show. Right. Is like I, have, I I grew up reading Archie comics. I am horrified as what as what is uh, happening in that show. Right. So my <laughs> wife and I tried to watch one episode, and we weren't sure whether we were in the right Archie or not. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a whole different genre. Mm-hmm. But in Archie comics, not only did I get a sense of what I thought American college life was or high school life was. Um, Every time or most of the time that they order pizza, somebody orders an anchovy pizza. And in Bombay, not only could we get, did we get in those days, because I'm pretty old, not only did we not get pizza delivery, even when they had pizza, nobody knew what an anchovy was. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things I did when I was in America, all right, one of the first things was order Domino's delivery with anchovies. And it was because for so many years growing up, I read Archie comics and they were always ordering anchovies and I could never get anchovies. So I got to ask you a question. How did that go for you? To this day, I, it's many, many years since I first yeah. came here. If I had the choice, I would put anchovies on my really? pizza. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, and right now in my fridge, I have a jar of anchovies. Oh, yeah. so you're ready to go. Like if you didn't put anchovies on anything, pizza, Pasta, somebody else's car. For all you salad lovers out there, a true Caesar has fresh anchovies. I did not know that. Yeah, absolutely. If you really want a true Caesar, six anchovies go into the the paste. There you go. And how many times do you stab a true Caesar to make sure it's a it's a Caesar salad? Yeah, well, that's a, the salads are a whole different deal there, yeah. right? So, but that's really was it. Archie Comics, Archie Comics, and actually, I even brought some show and tell uh, for those of you in the audience here, right here, ladies and gentlemen, is the Spider-Man comic, circa 1984. I wish I could show this on the podcast, but oh, we'll take a picture. You'll take a picture. Just Cir- turn around, and smile. Spider-Man. There we go. 1984, uh, one of the first comics. My dad used to fly for the airlines, and every time he came back from a flight, I would run to him, no matter what time of the day or night he came back, open his suitcases, looking for the comics. Mm -hmm. So it was this big deal where my American comic fix came from my dad traveling around, and I grew up with comics, and when I came to America, I sort of wanted to do all the things I saw in the comics, quickly figuring out that the world of Archie Comics is not the America that is really out there, so. No, and yeah. it, it, it arguably was never the America that existed, but it was well, definitely that yeah, sort of now idealized. Now you tell me, right? Yeah, now yeah. you tell me. I'm, I, I apologize uh, right. on behalf of those guys. I came here under false pre- pretexts. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so you come here, uh, and, and so uh, you know you, you you go into your field. You're a, a respected psychologist. Uh, did comics have anything to do with that? You, you too, or like uh, how how did that work? Yeah, you know, I, I think I think like many individuals, I read comics as a kid mm-hmm. and and sort of lost touch with them. And um, for anybody who's a comic fan, you know about the golden age and the silver age and all those different ages of comics. And uh, quite honestly, there are many ages of. Uh, comics that I just don't resonate with. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the storylines are too dark for me. Uh, some of the years are too goofy, just way too goofy. And uh, and so I, I lost touch with comics for a really long time. But I think in graduate school, this whole notion of, of especially Superman comics, which is why I resonate so much with Superman, the more I studied psychology and thought about psychology and behavior, I realized that in so many ways, psychology and comics are pretty connected mm-hmm. in that just like good literature, you can read a work of fiction and probably learn more about human beings uh, than you can in a whole bunch of different ways. I mean, mm-hmm. I am constantly amazed when I read a good piece of literature to see this author talk about human psychology 
almost like they're a trained psychologist. I mm -hmm. mean, that's what great writing is, right? You read this book and you go, this observation of character, wow. And as a psychologist who reads a lot of psychology, I know the research on it, and lo and behold, so many times, the psychological research maps completely on how this fiction writer has written about it. Mm -hmm. And I know that in some cases, many actually in many cases, authors do a lot of good research on their writing. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine they read a lot of psychological articles. Maybe they do, but it definitely seems like they do because of those observations. So to get back to that question, mm -hmm. where did comics sort of come back? It was more the whole, this notion that as a psychologist, there was, there's so much psychology in there, but it really picked up maybe about 15 or 20 years ago when I realized that whether you are a student or a parent or especially a teacher, you have to be almost superhuman mm -hmm. to get done all the things that you have to get done. Right. And I think that, that thought intrigued me uh, and I really started digging into these parallels between all the things that we do as human beings mm -hmm. and how sometimes, whether it's what we expect of ourselves or what we expect of others, we expect superhuman performance mm -hmm. when we are human or right. only human. And I love that and I love that coming through in comic books where especially uh, the silver age of comics is where you started getting a lot of psychology in the comics. And for those of you, the early age, so I was kidding uh, Brian about uh, serious fun. Superman shows up in uh, 1938. Uh, the two writers, the two, you know, Jerry Siegel and whatever, they started doing comics in 1935 for a, a comic, probably the first comic magazine called uh, New Fun, and it was that was 1935, right? So here's New Fun, and I'm like, hey, serious fun, New Fun, this is great. I, from now on, I'll just pretend that's why there it's you called that. You yeah. really should, right? I should. But so here they start doing New Fun in 1935. Mm -hmm. They sell Superman for $130. I mean, think about that the Superman franchise sold for $130. But that was the golden age and the storylines are sort of goofy. When it gets really interesting for me is the silver age mm -hmm. in the 50s where a lot of the writers, right? A lot of the writers of Superman get this. They're writing Superman storylines after going through therapy. Mm. So what I found out is, especially during the Silver Age, is you'd have these writers reflecting on their own therapy ex experiences mm -hmm. and coming up with storylines. And then of course my favorite tidbit that if you haven't heard by now, you're gonna hear it right now, Wonder Woman, created by a psychologist, the same person who did the lie detector, right? He's the, he, Marson came up with the Wonder Woman idea. So there's a lot of psychology there. It was hard to stay away from psychology right. and superheroes. Yeah, and especially with Wonder Woman, you actually see a lot of those themes come through in Marston's original writing. And some of them have aged well, some of them haven't, but like there is absolutely that kind of like almost idealist, uh, I'm not sure how to describe it. Like, there's almost sort of an idealized sexism in some ways uh, in, in his original works, but it's it's influenced by his psychological uh, uh, writing and research at the time. Absolutely. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, and uh, you know what I find kind of interesting is this notion of the, sort of the superhero as kind of like a metaphor or sort of like the product of therapy in a lot of ways, because I think there is that element where part of why we love these characters, right, um, is that they are this sort of like thing that we aspire to be, the sort of thing that we it's almost like a metaphor or an allegory we use where you know oh if you're a, a great mother you're basically Wonder Woman or you can't fix everything you're not Superman, right, um, or you know like lately I've kind of felt like uh, you know I, I empathize as I get older um, with the with Spider 
Spider-Man. Not so much that, you know, it's like the swinging around or anything like that, but like the, the scenes where he's like, like a, in Spider-Man 2 where he's like trying to stop the train from crashing and he's like basically like webbed himself to the front of the train. It's just like straining. Um, sometimes I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's an apt metaphor. <laughs> like, uh, and I find that really, really interesting. And, and I think that the, you know, the notion of superhero as a, a psychological concept. I mean, not only does it sort of play out directly, I mean, you can look at Batman and Batman's rogues gallery is essentially r- straight out of the DSM handbook, right? Mm-hmm. Every single one of them, as I have a conversation with a student about this, every single one of them has in some way right. some kind of personality disorder or um, some sort of psychological aspect. Um, and that's why, you know, they don't go to prison, they go to the Arkham Asylum, right? right? And it's almost in a lot of ways also an allegory for like the, the harmful effects of that sort of uh, not restorative treatment, but rather just sort of locked the problem away and, and hoping that it's dealt right. with. Um, so I always wonder, like, you know, why is Arkham, like, if, Bat, if, if Batman is such a philanthropist, why is Arkham Asylum still operating this way? But Well, I, I think even Batman, though, right? Look, look yeah. at, I, I think you see, especially in the iteration of Batman as the Dark Knight, uh-huh. right? And then, of course, all the different ways Superman has been written. Mm-hmm. I think even before going to uh, mental, mental illness and abnormal behavior, what something that's just so fascinating when you look at the comic books is take a look at how they deal with identity. Right. Right? The who am I? Who am I? Who am I? What should I do? What do I do with these powers? You mentioned Spider-Man, the classic line. Mm-hmm. Great, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Right. But even, you know, there's so many ways that you see in comics and especially in the movies, Superman grappling with this, what do I do? Mm-hmm. What should I use this power for? What's the best way to use this power? And then they're the way they deal with violence, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Batman's, you know, think about when you see blood in comics, or if you do, right? And how you see it. And the later stuff, and this is why the, that dark period is, I don't, I don't read as many of the dark period st- uh, stuff because it's just so violent, mm-hmm. right? It is so violent. Um, and especially Frank Miller's stuff, the Superman, Batman, wow, there's a lot of darkness in there. Mm-hmm. But so even before you go to the violence and the darkness, I just love that, that identity stuff. Mm-hmm. And especially the identities of roles. I mean, mm-hmm. every one of us sitting here plays many different roles, right? Right. And then you look at the Clark Kent versus Superman. Mm-hmm. Wow, those two roles and how you switch, you know, between that. Just that's fascinating stuff. It is fascinating. It's also interesting how, depending on the character, which one is the mask and which one's not. You know, the the old saw is that um, Superman is a costume Clark Kent wears. Uh, Bruce Wayne is a costume Batman wears. Yeah, right. right? And, and and that whole sort of duality of identity is like so core to so many of the characters. Um, and I think that's part of why they still resonate to this day because we all have multiple identities, like you said, that we're trying to just essentially negotiate and navigate through in different contexts. Um, and, and so part of that identity is, of course, the immigrant identity. And I want to kind of uh, circle back around because I think you have a really, um, uh, obviously, very unique perspective on this matter. So we're living in this world where immigration is this hot-button issue, right? But we're also living in a world where the whole notion of geographical borders is becoming less and less relevant, right? Um, but at the same time, it's still highly salient in our minds. So even as our uh, communication and our information networks are making the world smaller and borders are becoming uh, you know, more porous, both physically and, and figuratively, um, Superman's kind of in an interesting place in all of this discussion. So I want to talk to you because as we look at this uh, sort of exchange of cultural uh, processes and uh, communication networks, how does Superman and maybe even this broader idea of, of comics and, and the superhero and fiction in general, how do we fit into that framework and, and sort of recontextualize the notion of the immigrant identity? Well, I think there are a couple of different ways to think about this. I think on one hand, the first thing I think about is just like when we look at society today, Right, an immigrant who's doing good stuff for us, 
we like, mm-hmm. and the immigrant who we don't believe is doing the stuff for us we don't like as much. Mm-hmm. Especially when there's an immigrant who is so on our side, mm-hmm. gosh, we sometimes don't even know he or she's an immigrant, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, that's what I think about with Superman. How, how often in the comic books do people actually, or in the storylines, do you actually think about, wait a minute, Superman's not from here. No, as long as he's doing stuff for us, he's from here, he's one of us, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you actually recommended uh, a, a storyline that I'd only heard of, but then read since we talked, the whole Red Sun, mm-hmm. right? And for those of you who haven't run into this, there's a whole super, uh, Superman graphic novel that imagines Superman actually crash landing in the Soviet Union. And the whole story is how do he be different and that's when the identity is different and that's when what he's going for is different but coming back but that's when you go well what if superman didn't land here in the midwest and i think that's when it gets for me gets really disturbing where you go wow yes superman is so american Mm -hmm. he's so american but actually he's an alien Actually, he's an immigrant, but we're okay with it because he's fighting for us, Mm -hmm. right? And to go even beyond that immigrant notion and the alien notion, you know, let me go back to the creators, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm going to dovetail with the Clark Kent role identity. When you look at these two Jewish boys writing stories, right? How not only was the early Superman going, yep, let's show it to those Germans Mm -hmm. who've oppressed the Jewish people, right? But... One of my favorite little anecdotes about this is stories about how the writers of Superman created that Clark Kent persona to be them. Mm -hmm. The them that no girls looked at, but whoa, when you turn into Superman, everybody looks at you, Mm -hmm. right? And there's this whole, there are certain ways that we are as Jews, as they Mm -hmm. talked about, that we are as immigrants in general, that nobody looks at us, but... You know, mm-hmm. on the other hand, it's different. So uh, personally, I see a lot of those parallels, even when I look at the experiences I've had, mm-hmm. where there are some times when I'm seen as different mm-hmm. and there are some times when I'm totally blending in with everybody else. Right. You know, and I think that's when it really highlights this whole mm-hmm. this. When are you an outsider? When are you an insider? Mm-hmm. And you may be doing a lot of great stuff like Superman. Mm-hmm. But when do you notice or when does, do people actually say, hey, you know what? You're not actually from here, are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think what's interesting about Superman is that the way he is drawn, the way he looks, he looks fundamentally similar to kind of the sort of like um, white Anglo-Saxon kind of character, even though it is hard to read as anything other than explicitly Jewish character. Right. right? There's been books written to this effect. Um, This is important because he is able to turn off that alienness very simply, whereas a lot of folks who are uh, of the immigrant background simply can't do that, right? right? Because you do kind of stand out if you're not part of that sort of, uh, you know, white mainstream. But this, and this is what I always find interesting, because like other superheroes will come along and play along with, or play around with this concept, right? You have like, for example, the X-Men, who are by definition not immigrants, but they are treated nonetheless um, uh, as an other uh, because of the simple virtue of a genetic switch that was flipped when they were born. Right. And, uh, you know, it is fascinating how much so much of the superhero genre comes out of that simple question of, you know, immigrant comes here, uh, assimilates into America, becomes American by proxy. And even Superman, as the stories got on, uh, went on and we spent more time sort of grappling with that concept. You had instances, for example, where Superman uh, basically gives up his uh, his American citizenship, saying I am literally a, a citizen of the galaxy. I can't uh, be seen as advancing the uh, uh, interests of one country. Um, there's a, 
another one, uh, a storyline I don't recommend, but is nonetheless an interesting thought exercise was called DCU Decisions, where there is a contentious election and all of the DC superheroes decide to take sides and who they're going to endorse. And you learn entirely more about your favorite superhero's political beliefs than, frankly, you really ever wanted to. <laughs> um, and Superman, like, it's all building up to who's Superman going to endorse? Who's Superman going to endorse? And that's how they kind of get out of that thing is saying, well, he's not really going to endorse anybody. He's just going to say that we should choose for ourselves, which, you know, is the right thing for Superman to do, but not a terribly satisfying answer to the question you yourself posed. So um, that I think I just find that really interesting, uh, this whole notion of that immigrant identity and how it manifests in different ways with Superman, but also in sort of the genre that he inspires. You know, but and but let's take that. Let's look at Superman, right? Mm-hmm. Superman is drawn as white, yep. as male, mm-hmm. and for the most part, American, mm-hmm. right? And I say for the most part because we say, oh, where's Superman from? Well, he's American. He crashed mm-hmm. on in America. He's American. Uh, I think until relatively recently, the fact that he was both drawn as and is Jewish, mm-hmm. as it were, you know, it was not really out there. Right. You know, uh, I think Harry Broad, who uh, a little shout out to the Cassandra Voss Center at St. Norbert, brought in Harry Broad, who wrote a book on uh, Superman is Jewish. Mm-hmm. Wonderful book about how uh, the drawing and the storylines of Superman are actually very influenced by mm-hmm. not only Jewish storytelling, but Jewish mythology, mm-hmm. the idea of the golem, and, you know, all that sort of stuff in there. But look at how he's drawn, right? White and male. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love the title of our session today, Going Beyond Borders, mm-hmm. because what I think I've been most pleased by in the le- last 10 to 15 years is where you go beyond this white male Superman mm-hmm. to not only have the better drawing of female characters, but now going to characters that are not white anymore. Right. And in some ways are also adopting traditionally white identities and turning them into something new. I mean, you have Miles Morales, one of my personal favorites. I've loved Peter Parker since I was a kid. I love Miles Morales just as much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got, of course, you've got Miss Marvel here. Um, and and uh, that character is, of course, a very popular one, speaking to an audience that simply isn't represented in these comics very much. Um, you know, and of course, uh, Green Lantern, my favorite Green Lantern is Jon Stewart, who is an African-American man. And for some reason, DC doesn't want to put him in anything. And I'm still mad about that. Um, Hal Jordan's just not as interesting. But, um, and the new Iron Man, who's yes. Iron, a black, a black woman. Yes, Riri Williams. Oh, she is now getting her own, uh, her own kind of costume and identity, her own, sep- her own separate series. Now that she's kind of been uh, put out there, um, because I think what, one of the interesting things is that eventually, in a lot of these cases, they do regress back to that white male mean because they're still sort of chasing the same audience they've been chasing since the 1960s, right? And uh, so, you know, we go back, we, ha- we introduce Jon Stewart, he's very, very popular, we introduce all these other Green Lanterns and that sort of thing, but when it comes time for somebody else to take over, you go back to what you read when you were a kid and what you think the audience wants, which is, you know, vanilla, white bread, Hal Jordan. Um, and uh, this is one of my pet peeves with comics, it's just Hal Jordan in general. But um, this is, uh, you know, like, this is something that happens a lot across both, I mean, all the major companies, all this sort of thing. When you're dealing with these characters who've been around for, you know, in some cases, 70 plus years, you start to regress back to, well, this is sort of the de facto version of that character. And that, to me, poses a whole different sort of thing, saying that there is one legitimate form, and rhetorically, that legitimate form might not be you. And if it's not you, you kind of feel like, well, gee, I I'm, I'm kind of feel left out now, right? But, no, but notice how even the changes are sort of subtle and slight, right? Mm-hmm. So Wonder Woman's doing really well, which is great. And so they're greenlighting more female superhero movies. Uh, just a couple of days ago, not to date stamp this, but a couple of days ago, they released the uh, Captain Marvel uh, trailer, right? And But take a look at it. And here, show and tell, Captain Marvel. Take a look at that. That's still white, sexist drawing kind of thing, right? 
it's still about the same kind of thing. Now, great, it's a woman, but you're still going for that. I mean, look at the way all those curves are drawn. That's still old school type mm -hmm. of stuff. That's why I like to think about, and I want, you know, you mentioned Green Lantern. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you read it around into The Shadow Hero. I have not. Well, The Shadow Hero, this is uh, Gene Luen Yang, who's the author of American Born Chinese, which mm -hmm. is a great graphic novel in itself. But The Shadow Hero is actually a retelling of the Green Turtle. Oh. It's the uh, evolution, uh, the, the, the backstory of the Green Turtle, which was an Asian American a superhero, mm -hmm. right? Uh, from some time ago, but that Asian American superhero was very marginalized. Mm -hmm. And so Jean Lun Yang comes along, and this is relatively recent, redraws the whole story, and you go through this, and all the characters are Asian American, mm -hmm. are, are Asian, and you go, wow. This is completely different, mm -hmm. right? Why, you can actually have a different looking person in there, mm -hmm. right? So, and, and look at the gestalt of where we are right now. What's a movie that surprised everybody with its box office? Crazy Rich Asians, mm -hmm. right? Here for the first time is a movie completely populated by Asian American actors doing really well, mm -hmm. right? So I think, hey, he you heard it here first, think about it. He now these other superhero characters, and again, Green Turtle, and this is just a great read, The Shadow Hero, really brings out you know mm -hmm. something else and goes, yeah, you can be Asian American, you can be you know something else. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanna go back to one more yes, thing you said, especially as I see my daughter pop up over here, um, in the background, yeah, exactly. Look back, check her out. No, no. The the reason I think about my daughter, you mentioned Miss Marvel, but yeah, take a look at that cover, right? Look familiar? Yeah, you know, I I saw Miss Marvel and thought, yeah, now my daughter and half Indian American girl who's now hiding behind the counter, <laughs> right? Boy, this is Miss Marvel, right? right? This is Miss Marvel, and, right. and and if you haven't run into Miss Marvel, Pakistani American uh, girl in New Jersey, mm -hmm. really, really interesting storyline, mm -hmm. and yeah, maybe not Indian American. Okay, I can't ask for too much at one shot, right? Right, but we'll get to Indian Americans in the comics if there's time because I've got some of that of too. Of course, of course. But wow, Miss Marvel! I saw Miss Marvel written by a woman, mm -hmm. right? Wilson, uh, written by a woman and getting truly, going back to the immigrant experience, mm -hmm. getting into that immigrant experience, right. saying this is what it's like to be an immigrant, this is what it's like to be brown, mm -hmm. right, and have these superpowers and how do you yeah. deal with it. So, well, in, in a lot of ways, it's kind of a, uh, what I love about that series is that, you know, not only uh, is G. Willow Wilson herself Muslim, but also it is based on the experiences of the editor, Sana Aminat. Um, and so even though Wilson's leaving, uh, I'm not staying as the editor, so we're still going to get that kind of authenticity in the storytelling, which I'm happy about. Um, but also, it felt a lot like the classic Spider-Man stories. Like, this is a person who's trying to balance essentially being a teenager and also being a superhero, but now we're adding the additional wrinkle that not only is she being a superhero and a teenager, she's also trying to be an American teenager at the same time she's trying to uphold the sort of traditional values and kind of the love and respect she has for her family's traditions. Um, this is, I think, an interesting way, and honestly, maybe one of the best ways to explore those concepts um, in a way that you know uh, helps to breed that kind of that kind of understanding, right? And, and I think it's it's hard to read Miss Marvel and kind of, and not come away from saying, okay, I kind of get it a little bit. I don't fully understand maybe necessarily coming from a, a white male perspective, but I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. I can empathize. I can find that commonality and say. I've been in situations like this, even if I didn't go to a mosque or something like that, I, I get where she's coming from. Right. So that you're, you know, it's not only the religious angle, mm -hmm. it's not only the non-white angle, but going back to psychology, it's the developmental psychology angle. Mm -hmm. Here is a kid growing up 
And what do kids have to deal with growing up? It's in there, mm -hmm. you know? So I just love the fact that it uses all those themes. Uh, and for all the women in the audience, growing up female, especially in this day and age, is a lot tougher mm -hmm. than, than growing up male. Yeah. And I think Miss Marvel nicely captures all of that uh, that in there. Yeah, and I'm, I've just been thrilled to see just how big that character has become. And they've already put a pathway for her to show up in the movie, so I'm pretty excited about that. Like, she's coming. I'm v I'd be very surprised we don't get out of this next year without at least some hint in that Cap she's going to be in there. In the yeah. Captain Marvel movie? Yeah, or, yeah or, or in the next Avengers movie or something. I would be very surprised if Marvel doesn't pull that particular trigger because I think they know there's money to be made mm -hmm. there. They looked at Black Panther like, all right, you know what? We can roll the dice. Let's let's make something that's a little bit from a different perspective or tells a different story because we can, we can do that because it turns out there's a market for it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, there's, and this is, I guess, like when we talk about this idea of comics and this notion of culture and all that, I, I think, you know, would you agree that we can kind of look at this as sort of like, we can use these stories, use these sort of broad kind of mythological or like sort of modern mythological stories to try to find that kind of commonality and find that common understanding that can be so often uh, difficult to find otherwise. Yeah, and, and I think it's also, I think you can read comics at so many different levels, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you can read comics as, oh, is this entertainment? It's, it's look at the art, look at the graphics. Okay, you're paging through it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I love reading comics more. I, I like owning some, Mm -hmm. in particular because then you can read the story the first time and then you can go back and actually pay attention to the mm -hmm. artwork right and the layout and the page layout and there are a lot of individual differences but some of us will resonate to certain artists and drawings than others right right so I think there's that layer of how do you want to read it do you mm -hmm. want to read it as just the story just the, the graphics do you want to read it for the the, the mythology behind it mm -hmm. uh, I also think it's the roles that comics can play I right. mean I you know it's moving from this pulp fiction cheap stuff to actually in Introducing, uh, I think, individuals, not mm -hmm. just children, but individuals to a world that they may not have run into before. You know, another quick flashback to my youth, and I brought this along too. Um, when a lot of the comics that I read as, as, as a kid were actually these stories of Indian mythology told in storybook form. So there's, there's this brand of, of comic, this, this is called the Amar Chitrakata, which is the most common comic book uh, in Bombay, mm -hmm. uh, uh, where I grew up. And the Amar Chitrakatas were all these historical stories. Mm -hmm. So in school I had to study history that was boring, but I could run down to the, the newsstand and pick up the comic book that told the same story of the same kings and rulers in a much more fun format. You know, uh, this particular one that I brought along today, this is all the, uh, the Panchantantra, these stories. It's almost like Aesop's fables, mm -hmm. right? The Indian version, as it were. And, and it's told in storybook form, right? And growing up, you didn't have to read the no pictures book. You mm -hmm. could read this comic, get all these stories, get the morals, and each, you know, it is just absolutely super. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. I love the fact that you can use comic books in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And then the message. Right. And very often it's up to you. You don't want to get all the deep, you know, ideas behind it, okay. Mm -hmm. But maybe with some exposure, you'll you'll find yourself latching into something that you never thought you'd like before. Yeah, or even just developing sympathy for a perspective that's not your own, which yeah, is, is a, which I think is one of the most powerful things. So, um, now now one of those perspectives that's kind of come up, especially recently, I'd say would probably have blown up in the last year, especially because uh, we we talked about this when we were, we were preparing for the show. Right. You had mentioned uh, you really want to talk about Afrofuturism, and I said yes, let's do that. Because Afrofuturism, uh, you know, the, the, if you're not familiar with it, uh, if you saw Black Panther, you kind of saw a form of Afrofuturism. Afrofuturism is this aesthetic, is this sort of genre, and it's based on the sort of intersection between this uh, experience of African identity and diaspora, um, and also sort of the uh, influences of tech 
technology. And in some cases, the story is like, okay, so what would happen to African culture um, in, a, in a world where colonialism haven't, hadn't happened, like for example, in Black Panther. Um, other variations are just kind of taking science fiction aesthetic and applying uh, sort of an African uh, lens to it, like the work of Janelle Monet and that kind of thing, whose her work is essentially about sort of um, the, the, the limitations of the humanity and that kind of thing. Um, and then, of course, uh, we have one of the most prominent Afrofuturism authors, uh, um, uh, Nnedi Okorafor, coming to the Brown County Library next week on Saturday for Comic-Con. And I'm going to see if I can get her to sign my comics. Um, but uh, you had mentioned, so you had a specific interest in yeah. the genre, and it's something I'm still relatively new on. So uh, what about this is appealing? What about this is special? What appeals to you about this particular aesthetic? Right. So I, I think two things come to mind. And, and you're right. It's The timing is so interesting. I just started getting exposed to this. and. Mm-hmm. You know, Black Panther comes out and, and all of that. Uh, I think two big things. N- point number one, think back to, you know, Superman, where we mm-hmm. started, right? This is a white man in white America for the most part, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and when you look at it as this fun sort of thing, it's okay because it's fun. It's a comic book. It doesn't right. have to, you know, it could reflect any sort of reality it wants. And of mm-hmm. course, some of those storylines go all over the place. Right. But you notice that until relatively recently in mainstream Superman, you know, Marvel, DC kind of work, you don't really see non-white individuals featured too much. Mm -hmm. I think the neat thing about Afrofuturism is, boy, it's not a half measure. It goes all the way, Mm -hmm. right? And I think the neat thing about even the movie Black Panther, think about it. Here's a complete city of African Amer- of Africans, not just a city, an entire but, nation, an entire nation yeah. that is way more advanced than the rest of the world, mm-hmm. right? And I think the movie Black Panther particularly does a really good job of saying, "Here's why we kept it from you guys," mm-hmm. right? And I think that's one notion that I love about Afrofuturism. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of my simple definitions is a future where the African or the black person isn't where they are in current state America right. today. I mean, that's a really loose translation. Sure, not right? othered, not the, not not other. the marginalized identity. Yeah. I mean, to use you know sci-fi language, it's a parallel universe mm-hmm. where if things happen differently in the 1600s, right. you know, and, and of course, slavery goes way before the 1600s. Right. I mean, the Greeks, and a uh, little side tidbit, the, where does the word slave come from? From Slavic, mm-hmm. right? The, Slav, the Slavs was one of the first slaves and it became this usage for mm-hmm. slaves. Um, and and I think that's that we have that mm-hmm. that that horrible history and but Afrofuturism for the most part and the stuff I've read takes it a completely different way. Right. So it says, look, imagine a different future. Mm-hmm. Here's a future where people, if you're not white and you step into a store, people won't follow you around. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a pretty cool future. Right. Right. So that's one big part mm-hmm. of it. Is like how neat, how freeing mm-hmm. is that. The second big thing I really love about it is, for me, it's been just this absolute learning experience to be immersed mm-hmm. in stories that unabashedly are set in a different country with different, uh, you know, uh, histories and different mythologies. So, for example, I'm, cu- I'm currently reading uh, Who Fears Death, right? The mm-hmm. classic uh, Nnedi Okafor book. And it's so refreshing mm-hmm. because it's not making or need to make any references right. to the you know the, what we're so used to. Right. It's different traditions. Uh, a lot of her work is set, is set in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. There's some great sci-fi that's set with this blend of African mysticism and spells and witches 
and technology, mm-hmm. right? So there's this really, really cool world, and quite honestly, it is super, it's very refreshing to run into it. And so not only is it, wow, I learned so much about a whole different continent, but it's also done in this totally freeing way where you don't have these similar tropes, as it were, right. of, of stories that you're so stuck with. Yeah, and I think I agree with you 100%, and I think that is one of the things I think made Black Panther so successful as a film, uh, was the fact that it negotiated this sort of interesting space where, you know, it, you, you mentioned the notion it's like a parallel future, or a parallel universe, or just like sort of a, uh, like in, uh, you know, in comics term, it's a, it's a what if story or an Elseworld else story. Um, but, uh, you know, that notion of what the implication of that sort of arrangement is, if there was a country where colonialism did not touch it and it developed, uh, you know, g- g- with resources and knowledge uh, and, and just sort of like uh, under the guise of, you know, this sort of like simple nation that doesn't really, you know, just isn't really much of anything. What would that be like? And also, what does it owe to the world? I think that was the sort of other question about that is that I think, you know, based on my experience with the genres so far, it's like it's not just about, you know, the sort of idealized utopia. It's also about trying to figure out, you know, the sort of repercussions and the ramifications of that identity and what happens as a result of these things. And I think that's a really interesting thread too. Well, and I, and I think you, you find that all over the world, we're dealing with the same kinds of problems, right? right? I mean, even in Who Fears Death, there are two different African tribes who are against each other mm-hmm. you know, with a whole different origin story and things like that. So, I mean, you know, it, it's that sort of exposure that I think makes, you know, such a big difference. Right. Uh, and I think along those lines of Afrofuturism, I, th- I think, and I want to put parallels so that we don't lose it, it's not just, you know, uh, Afrofuturism, but even across religious lines, we're seeing a lot of new stuff. Uh, something that I want to mention is something called the 99. And mm-hmm. the 99 is, it's the, it's the 99 virtues of Allah mm-hmm. and superheroes who have these different virtues of Allah, right? And I think I find just watching how that comic has been approached really interesting everybody seems against it you know whether you're conservative or Mm -hmm. liberal or left or right somebody has something to say about that and I think that's such a great example for me about wow it's a comic that's trying to bring up another sense of things Mm -hmm. but people aren't just accepting it you know like the Afrofuturism movement. Right. Well, it's interesting. You know, the, the, there was one uh, individual or I should say uh, organization that did not question it, and that was DC Comics. They actually did a crossover right. between the 99 right. and Justice League, and it was a really big deal um, because that was them essentially saying, this is cool. We want to be a part of this. We think this is really revolutionary. And to have the company that essentially, you know, if you go far back enough, pretty much created the genre or certainly right. popularized it. Um, it, putting a stamp on that. I think, um, you know, that is the sort of thing, like as a gatekeeper, as uh, an organization that has that kind of power, that's the kind of stuff you like to see them doing is right. encouraging this kind of story to be told. Um, and one of the nice things has been seeing DC and Marvel both trying to step into the space and maybe, I would argue, maybe a decade or two t- uh, too late, but still um, making the effort, um, even, you know, uh, you know, speaking of Indian comics, there was actually a Spider-Man India. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, I, and that was an interesting take on that character. Uh, it was an interesting sort of reinvention of the story I think I think where it might have aired a little bit is I don't think it quite went far enough in reinventing the character um, from that perspective but it was still like an early attempt to kind of be like let's tell that story let's get a different uh, style let's get a different perspective on who this character is right I, and I think speaking of crossovers what you see right now is uh, you know you mentioned the Indian Spider-Man yeah which is sold out all over India because I really? had my mom to try and get me one but huh. she could not but what she did get me was this is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, this is Grant Morrison's 18 Days, right. which is a retelling of a classic Indian epic. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, when you grow up in India, there are two big epics you hear about, the Ramayana and the Mahabharata. Mm-hmm. And the Mahabharata is this big war between the gods and, and what else. And Grant Morrison, right, this guy who's very popular right. in, in American writing, goes and reimagines this. And what I find really interesting here, right, and here's the politics of, of race and mm-hmm. nationality coming in. Uh, it says very big, Grant, you can see it back there, Grant Morrison's 18 Days, but it's written and drawn by Indian artists. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's this weird. Let's get this American crossover doing this Indian thing, right? But it's a really interesting read. Yeah, and you know, speaking about art, almost every story in here has a different style to mm-hmm. it, but it's still this retelling of this classic Indian tale. Yeah, and I go, wow, comics really do have the choice. You can read this as this colorful, you know, God deal, uh, or you can really read it for the political statements that that it's making. It's 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 your choice to do what you want. Well, let's spin out of this. And it's probably um, we're, we're going to open it for questions here in a second. But uh, you know, we, we hear a lot, and you especially see this. There's a pretty active movement right now that I'm not going to name in comics. That's trying to say things that's like keep politics out of comics. We don't want you know, you know, we, we you're shoving this diversity down our throats and nonsense. Frankly, um, it's my show. I can say that. Uh, so you know, that, but that's a common refrain we hear a lot, right? Let's keep politics out of art. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, let's keep politics out of our comics. Let's keep politics out of our movies, our video games, whatever. Do you think a that's a good idea, and b in the case of genres like Afrofuturism uh, and, and really the superhero in general, that's even possible? Yeah, you know, I think it's taking the easy way out if you mm-hmm. say let entertainment be entertainment. Right. You know, uh, I I love the fact that uh, the creative license. Uh, you know, let's use the great power comes great responsibility. You know, you have this vehicle. I think it would be squandering the power to to not use it, mm-hmm. to not use it. I mean, yes, entertainment is entertainment, and that's great. But but why stop there? Right. You know, I, I don't think you should sacrifice entertainment and good storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, as as both of us are faculty members, very often people say, hey. Do you want to go entertain your students or do you want to educate them? And there's this term called, you know, blending the two together. Entertainment. Entertainment. Yeah. And I don't think it's this either or. I think if you're passionate about your stuff and you have a good time doing it, you'll enjoy it and your students will enjoy it and they'll enjoy learning. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, classes don't have to be boring. No. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think, but it's up to us to do it. So yeah. I think it's it's almost saying like saying, oh no, let's let's keep this to be just storytelling. Right. There's another role and a place for these other things. And even if you go back far enough to this particular genre, right? This politics have been part of it since the beginning. You I mean you have yep. Superman oh, in his earliest days, like fighting corrupt landlords and, and union busters and that kind of stuff. And Grant Morrison actually brought that aspect of the character back when they relaunched Action Comics back in I think 2011. Um, and you know you had Captain America as a direct response to uh, the rise of fascism in Europe, uh, written at a time people love to think, oh, we wrote this comic to like because America was you know up against fighting the Axis. No, we were not there yet. And Jack Kirby and uh, Joe Simon basically said we really should be. So they wrote Captain America, and the, you know my, one of my favorite stories ever is like there were some uh, American Nazis who were down there like threatening like ringing the doorbell at the comics uh, at the at the studio, saying you know show us the guy who. Uh, writes Captain America. We're going to tell him a thing or two. And Jack Kirby's already rolling up his sleeves and on his way down there. They're trying to tell him not to go down. By the time he gets down there, they're gone. But that's the kind of guy Jack Kirby was. He was fiercely political. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these comics artists were. Uh, Stan Lee even wrote back in the 
he's about people tr- telling him to keep the politics out of comics. But he's like, that's what pe- you know, that's the world we live in, and we set our comics in the real world, and there's a responsibility there. We cannot, we have to tell those stories. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the basic gist of his argument. Well, you know, I think along the same lines. I know I get hassled a lot for talking about psychology a lot, and I go, but you know what, psychology isn't everything mm-hmm. that we do, and you know, I think that's the same thing with comics. I mean, there, this is life. It's reflecting on life, and mm-hmm. you're, you're capturing it. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, all right. Uh, so, we're going to go ahead and open up the floor. If anybody's got some questions, we've got a microphone up there. You're more than welcome to come ask him. How about uh, that young guy at the back? Yeah, you got you have a question? <laughs> no, he's saying no. All right. Because we could just sit up here and talk about superheroes and, and, and this kind of stuff forever. But I'd love to hear from the audience. If you've got anything you want to uh, put out there, now's, now's the time. What not, do you think? Yeah? Not, not everybody at once. Do you guys let's, read let's, comics? Yeah. What's your favorite comic? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. You're Spider-Man. That's that's a good choice. That's okay. a good choice. Okay. That's that, he's my all-time favorite. So I, I'm I'm always partial. Anybody who says that Spider-Man's their favorite, I'm like, yeah. I have a of course, yeah. Uh, you can even speak into the mic if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, you can just pick up the whole thing. That's yeah, that's the easiest way to go. Comic prices are going up in price. You know, they're mm-hmm. not like when we grew up, a dollar, two dollars. Mm-hmm. How can we get? Or oh, twenty-five cents. Or yeah. twenty-five <laughs> yeah. cents. God, if only. I I I remember those days. Yeah. <laughs> How can we involve? The inner city, which can't afford a six dollar, seven dollar mm-hmm. comic book, and get them involved in Black Panther, mm-hmm. in Ms. Marvel. You know, how can we get them involved in that aspect so we can get more younger artists to come up and create these comic books? Because right now, who's buying it are older, mm-hmm. white, middle Americans. Mm-hmm. That's who's buying, you know. Yeah. And it's even going now more into electronic comic books, which older white Americans who want to mm-hmm. hide in closets yeah. and in comic books. Um, how can we get the younger generation of affluential uh, cultures right. to get involved and get interest in comic books again? Because this is a dying art. Yeah, yeah and I, I mean, it's a great question. You know. D- immediately what comes to mind is I think there are a couple of different answers one is we happen to be sitting in one of the places that can do it right the library that's right let's get up right. the there library. you go library there you go yeah so we did we didn't need prompting there I mean that's truly I mean right here to yeah. our left is the section and, yes. and libraries having sections like this is just out of this world uh, even here in Green Bay there's the Black Youth Alliance for example mm-hmm. is, is a group that's doing wonderful things to get black youth together in particular and, and likewise, there mm-hmm. are other organizations bringing groups of different cultures together. Now, that's broader than just comics, but mm-hmm. I think it starts by us making sure places like the library are well-funded, places yep. like those organizations are well-funded so they can mm-hmm. do all those things, including comic books yep. and things like that. Because, I mean, it's, not, it's storytelling, it's writing, it's art. It's not this cheap stuff that's easy to do. I mm-hmm. mean, you can tell a cheap, badly-made comic right but it's the craft that goes into it uh and i think good writers and artists make it look easy mm-hmm. but we need places like this to make sure that there are examples where you can come up and for free mm-hmm. pull something off this off the shelf and take a look at which it. we're actually doing right now yeah, which right i love some pulling yep. off the shelf right there yeah and, yeah and i think you're absolutely right i think that's the main way we do it um 100 like i would say that is the primary thing making these things as accessible as possible and that's uh something that the industry has not historically been great at recently um, I, I, I will say that's changing. I think, as you alluded to, digital comics are a big part of that. Um, we, you know, Comixology and these companies are notorious for not releasing numbers, but for 
from what we can tell, comics like Miss Marvel, comics like uh, you know uh, the more female-driven comics and the more uh, you know for people of color and that kind of stuff, they do very very well digitally. And a lot of that is because historically, um, the the gatekeeper aspect uh, of, of comic book shops has kind of kept some of these folks out of there. Now that's not I don't want I don't want to paint with a broad brush. For example, Powers Comics here, mm-hmm. they're wonderful human beings. They're deeply welcoming. Any anybody's is very welcoming. They make, they go out of their way to make their store as open and inclusive as possible. But that's not the case with all of them. Historically, it wasn't. Um, so you have that sort of uh, like the stereotype of these sort of like kind of smoky kind of crappy like walls are sort of dripping and like the the guy who owns the store is kind of just annoyed you're there i've been to those stores um like and that's not good for anybody right but uh the other thing too is that you know uh with these platforms like and opening up like this i think we also just it just comes down to like when i was a kid right and, and you mentioned going to the newsstand and buying comics right and i when i was a kid it was the grocery store and i read archie more than i read like superman or batman why because archie was available at the checkout counter at the grocery yeah. store and it's pretty yeah. easy to say mom dad grandma grandpa can i get this archie digest and they're like yeah if you're reading i don't care um so i got a lot of archie comics and that has not been the domain especially for the superhero genre for many many years it's only just now um dc actually did make a step to try to put more comics in walmart they so they'll put out these hundred page thick digests it's like five bucks but you get a ton of comics no ads and it's just like the reprints of comics from a few years ago some new stuff but that kind of stuff is a step in the right direction so you know like you said let's fund libraries let's make those digital platforms available let's make these things as inclusive and open and and go with like youth groups and that kind of stuff as much as we can but also from the retail side let's just put comics in more places let's be open let's get people into these stores let's let's host these events let's do all this cool stuff if you went to the untitled town book festival that recently uh, actually I'm reminded of something I saw there which was the Boys and Girls Club has uh, a comic session and they literally had the comics that kids got together Mm -hmm. and wrote and that's some great stuff Mm -hmm. there you know let's support sorry Uh, there'll be a comic on super yeah I mean let's support the Boys and Girls Club in those efforts and that gets directly to your point it's getting kids together drawing comics so it's super stuff yep and that's and it's 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 an accessible medium that should be open to everybody and and I think anything we can do to step toward that like they're doing a dynamite job here at the Brown County Library of doing that and it's just I'm so proud to be even remotely associated with it Um, so uh, you know shout out to uh, uh, to everybody at the library for trying to do that kind of stuff that's the kind of stuff we need to be doing and making it part of that community so you go see the movie and you go to the library and you read the comics and maybe pick up some other books too and, and you learn a few things. I think that's ultimately, you know, um, I, to me, the, the genre, the comics, superhero comics or otherwise, they're about fundamentally learning about new things and new experiences and seeing that perspective you wouldn't otherwise. So uh, that, that's the kind of stuff I think we should definitely do. So I think you're right on. Very cool. Uh, any other questions? Yeah, uh, you, you come up and just do the same thing, just sort of pick up the mic and, and, and uh, talk into it. Okay. Yeah, we so got you. I noticed when you guys were talking, you focused a lot on race and uh, gender for the changes in comics. But I'm wondering about like the LGBT yeah. aspect. Great question. Because yep. I know X-Men pushed a case with that a while ago where mm-hmm. they had the first gay marriage. Mm-hmm. And then The Walking Dead 2, mm-hmm. like three years ago with those new ones, they had a lot of gay characters showing up. So mm-hmm. I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. Yeah, That's a great question. Uh, Regan, you want to start off? No, I think... It, Especially as somebody teaching at a university, uh, I think it starts with our schools and universities where we make it something that's acceptable. Mm -hmm. And I know, speaking for UW-Green Bay, we've done such a super job. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's just been so great to see 
it being a more comfortable environment there. So it's, I think it starts there, but I think it's one of those things that's, that's it's getting into the comics. There's a little bit of a delay, right? I mean, yeah, I mentioned race because it took such a long time. It took such a long time, but now it's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you're, you're seeing that, mo- I mean, you've already, you already see it in the movies, right? You already see it in the movies. Mm-hmm it's not going to be much further behind. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the big thing is like just trying to get into those more mainstream things. Like uh, we are hoping that, you know, it, it would be nice to have a character who is explicitly uh, identified as LGBTQIA plus um, somewhere in one of these uh, giant Marvel movies. They've got the money. They're pretty much bulletproof. Why not take that chance, right? Because you might be surprised by how many people will turn out to see that story. Um, you, the, the, and that's the big thing is that historically the medium has been very risk averse. And I think this is one of those things you shouldn't be worried about taking a risk on because if you're going to uh, sort of hang your hat on representing the human experience, you have to represent the human experience. And that's a big part of it. Um, you know, and, and like, I think ultimately what it comes down to is just increasing the representation behind the scenes. We are starting to see more queer writers coming into comics. We are starting to see more queer artists coming into comics. Um, we're seeing more queer fandom opening up and that's enticing Marvel and DC to explore those themes more. We see that in Miss Marvel. There is uh, at least one yep. queer character yep. in the story. Um, this is the sort of stuff that I think we're on the right track. And uh, the more we do this, the better. And like I said, these characters are us. Uh, we need to make sure that we're fighting. But, but I, I think I wouldn't be the geek I am if I didn't also say that it also takes the research. Yes. And psychological research now is doing a super job of saying, look, this is normal. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think maybe to some extent, when you've got all these empirical articles showing that it's okay, mm-hmm. these empirical articles focusing on sexual identity and sexual orientation, the more we learn, I think that's going to make people more comfortable in seeing mm-hmm. it. Because I think sometimes you go, oh, it's a made up thing. Mm-hmm. And when science, and I know not enough people pay enough attention to science, but when the science is saying, hey, look, there's empirical evidence mm-hmm. that this is what's happening as part of development. I think that's going to really help that. Right, as well. it's, it, we're beyond the point where we can even say that, like you know, and, and every like culturally, scientifically, this is this is part of life, and we our our fiction needs to represent that. Um, and and I, I think we are getting there, uh, thankfully. And like I said, I think the fandom in a lot of ways is dri- driving that. Even outside of the realm of superhero comics, you have shows like Steven Universe, you have shows like Adventure Time, you have these things uh, that are going out of their way to in- include those things. And I think comics, superhero comics, are just finally starting to catch up um, because historically, the medium's been really good at following rather than leading on trends like that so but yeah that's a great question thank you for sharing um yeah. all right i think we're probably about done here so um you know i, I would love to be able to we could do all night but i'm pretty sure we're kind of we're, we're not getting the wrap it up signal but i'm getting the eye contact like you say we're, we're ready to kind of take a break here so um uh, regan thank you so much thank for being so much on for the show me, i really appreciate it and of course we'll have you on again anytime you want to talk about okay. this stuff or just okay. in the hallway or something absolutely um uh, so i do want to close with a quick plug for the brown county library comic con i've got some uh, those little bookmarks and that sort of stuff up here if you want to take a look at that that's coming up on saturday this coming saturday september 29th from 10 a.m till 4 um uh, big of course our big uh, guest speaker our keynote speaker is Nettie horfor um we are super excited to have her this is a huge get please come check out her work she's um quickly becoming i think if you are going to know her if you don't already you will know her within a year's time yep, absolutely she is absolutely one of the up-and-comers uh, in comics and writing in general john jackson miller carly eyed there's gonna be a cosplay content i love seeing the cosplay it's always a lot of fun um and if you like what you heard we're doing three of these on uh saturday uh which i checked i believe is a brown county library record i think we're setting the record that's the most live podcast recorded in one day by one show by so um i ex- I, I don't know like if i get like a really belt or like a title belt for that or something i'm not sure um, 
I'm breaking my own record from last year. So I, I'm actually, this is two years running. So that means next year I have to do four. <laughs> Eventually, I'm just going to be here the entire weekend doing these things. Um, so please come out for that. We really appreciate it. Check out Serious Fun on uh, SoundCloud and also just go to Phoenix Studios. Check out some of the other shows there. Uh, if you have the podcast, search Serious Fun all there. Uh, thanks again to Regan. Thanks to Stitcher for hosting us. That's why I had you all yell, thanks, Stitcher. Uh, and uh, thanks to everybody. And thanks to all you for coming out. Thanks to the Brown County Library for having us. This has been Serious Fun. Have a great night. All right. Podcast Network for the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. For more podcasts, visit uwgv.edu forward slash podcasts.